listening to the Rugby Coaches Corner podcast with your host, Andy Plymer. Bringing you up-to-date coaching concepts from the world of rugby. Sharing ideas to make the game better. Okay, welcome to episode number 60 of the Rugby Coaches Corner podcast. I'm your host, Andy Plymer, and joining me today is Nick Lear. Nick was formerly in charge of the Brumbies Academy for a number of years and has held numerous development roles with the organization since 2011. Outside of the Brumbies, he's had coaching roles with the Kubota Spears in Japan, the Melbourne Rebels, and University of Queensland, among others. Nick holds a Bachelor of Coaching Science for the University of Canberra and is now the General Manager of Ignite Rugby, and it's a pleasure to have him on the show. So welcome, Nick. Hi, guys. Thanks for having me. Yeah, no worries. No worries at all. So um, Brumbies, um, I'm, I'm, a, uh, I'm from a league background and then changed when I was in 18, so I don't have any allegiances to Aussie rugby, but if I, if I get pushed on it, the Brumbies are the one. Um, mainly because of that late 90s, early 2000 team with, you know, guys like Gregan and Larkham and Joe Roth and those amazing guys. So uh, pretty cool to be talking to you about about uh, what you do there. Oh, awesome. Uh, yeah, look, well, I've actually, as, as I said, I've, I'm still based at the Brumbies, um, but I'm, I, I work now for Ignite Rugby. Yep. We've got a partnership with the Brumbies, a commercial partnership with the Brumbies, um, to run uh, well, a commercial academy program essentially. So we we get athletes in on a FIFA service basis, and they mm-hmm. they train a combination of with me and with the Brumbies Academy squad. Um, Sweet. And then obviously we've got our the Ignite Rugby application. That's sort of something we've been working on for about uh, two years now. All right, cool. Well, we'll definitely <laughs> we'll definitely dive into that for sure later on the show. So um, yeah, can't wait to hear about it and uh, the connections with Mick Byrne and uh, people like that. It's awesome. So what, what about you? What was your, your backstory on playing and coaching? How'd you, how'd you, how'd you start rugby and then how'd you end up getting into coaching? Um, <clears throat> yeah, my, my dad was a coach. Um, yeah, yeah, cool. and, and, a re- yeah, and a reasonable coach. So I, I yeah. come from a small country town in New South Wales called Walka, um, mm. which is sort of uh, just south of Armadale. Um, yeah. And we uh, <clears throat> we grew up or as kids. We could because it was a small town. There wasn't a great deal to do, but, but we had a I guess a generation of parents that were, were incredibly active. Mm. Um, and yeah, f- f- from that, I guess we yeah, growing up, we we pretty much played every sport there was. And um, thinking back, because I actually wrote a paper on it um, to, uh, a couple of years ago about about small towns and. I think in about a 20-year period, like our, our small town um, produced like an incredible amount of. There wasn't much professional sport back then, but but a incredible amount of of athletes or players that that either went on to play for Australia or played first grade cricket or or um, or rugby or rugby league in Sydney. And as, as you know, back then, like that, that essentially was the pinnacle. There was no nothing professional. Um, yeah, we had a couple of world champion archers. Um, uh, World champion motorcyclist, you know, and, and it was all in about a twenty-year period. It was wow. a town of fifteen hundred people produced all these athletes. <laughs> That's awesome, eh? And yeah, it was weird, but it was funny though. When when you when you sort of go back and look at it, um, it was almost like a a case study out of um, uh, was it Goldman, you know, the guy, who, the, the the ping pong player that wrote, wrote the book on it, is it Talon? Oh, yeah, Bounce, um, Matthew Bounce, Saeed, yeah. Saeed, or so, Saeed, yeah, yeah. 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 It's almost a case study out of that. Yeah, right. Oh, that's cool. I, I lived in Armadale for a couple of years, so I know exactly the town you're talking about, and I know exactly oh, wow. the, the environment uh, that you're talking about, like real, real, real bush-orientated. Oh, that was um, 19... I went to Armadale City Public School, ACPS, yeah. in 1982 yeah. to 1984. Did you? Okay, because I went to Taz in Armadale. Yeah, well, I lived about five blocks away from Taz. So, oh, uh, did you? Yeah, 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 I know exactly. Yeah. I can't remember the street name, but... Uh, yeah, yeah, no, yeah, exactly cool. where, you're, okay. where you're talking about. Yeah, yeah. So, so you started playing rugby there, and then um, that led into coaching. Yeah, pretty much. Well, <clears throat> um, it, yeah, sort of. 
in the town, look, we had Dad who sort of ran all the rugby. We had a tennis coach called Betty Sweeney who who actually um, played at Wimbledon. Um, so we just had the, like a group of, pe- uh, of, of parents that were sort of passionate about various sports. And then, so as kids, that's all we did. Like I remember as a, you know, in, in summer we used to, we used to play cricket in the morning and then we'd go have lunch and we'd go play in a tennis competition. We'd finish the tennis competition, we'd go and play in a squash competition. Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> and that was in one day. So sort of, I guess we, we all came from a, we, we developed gross motor skill through, through all that. And I suppose, you know, as kids playing around, climbing trees, all that type of stuff, you, you, you develop a love for movement. And, and because Dad was a rugby coach, so it, my earliest memories are, are being on the side of a, of a rugby field, watching yeah. him coach. That's great. So I was sort of I was sort of bred into it to be honest, because um, I wasn't much of a player. So, <laughs> <laughs> but but I always had a passion for the game. So yeah. and it was I think it was just yeah it was probably more nature. Well, sorry, more nurture than nature there. I think. Yeah, yeah that's great. And what about in those early stages when you were kind of left to, left to your own devices to, to coach? What were what were some of those uh, early experiences like? And some of, when you reflect on it, some of the the lessons that you got out of that. Um, <clears throat> look, I'd always wanted to coach, uh, and, and at the time, well, rugby wasn't professional, so I, I, I left, when I left school, I went to Sydney, and I, I sort of fell into stockbroking. Mm-hmm. Look, I, I started, you know, running around the city delivering checks and then worked my way through the back office, then started working on the options floor, um, and then seats trading, etc. But I'd always, I'd, I'd always had a passion for coaching, mm-hmm. um, and, and, my, uh, I'd say, fledgling rugby career was 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 cut short pretty early because I've, I've had four knee operations, um, so I was finished at the age of 26. But I, at that time, rugby was sort of teetering on becoming professional, and I, I always wanted to coach. So I thought, at the time, it was I pretty much um, gave up a career in broking and went back to university in Canberra and, and, and studied coaching. So that's that's where I started. Um, I'd had one year's coaching experience. Wow. Tired of doing that, but I loved it. Yeah. And in, the, in that year, I thought I knew everything and realised pretty quickly. <laughs> Sounds like my first year too. <laughs> <laughs> um, and and I'm, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll look back on it and I'll, I must, yeah, if, if, if you could only talk to yourself again, <laughs> being a bit older, I probably would have been a bit different, I think. But um, <laughs> I knew everything for a long time, let's just say. Yeah, it, yeah. It, it's through experience I've, I've had to learn that actually I don't know that much. So, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, no, that's great. Yeah, I, I had that same challenge. And it was like coming from a being a player and then, well, I went into play as a player coach. And mm-hmm. so trying to juggle your positional understanding, which doesn't really translate to game understanding, to, and then your own kind of ability to detach yourself from being a coach on the field to just a player on the field and then managing mm-hmm. your captain and referees. And, oh, yeah, that was, uh, yeah, there's uh, some cringeworthy <laughs> moments there for sure. <laughs> yeah, it's hard to reflect, I've got to be honest. Yeah, 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 yeah. But it's, um, I found it really, like, it, it kind of kicked me along a bit. It made me mm-hmm. you either seek out answers or you just keep doing the same mm-hmm. crap. Um, mm. So uh, I found it was helpful in a weird way that I was like, oh, I can't keep doing this. So how, what other ways can I do it? Mm. Absolutely, mm. absolutely. Cool. And, and right. yeah, sorry. sorry. Yeah, you go. Well, I, was, well, I think early, early during that period too. So I was studying, and, and it was weird. Like I, I was the whole time I was studying, I was coaching as well, which which was was a massive benefit because initially I didn't see the relevance of, and I failed it on, on numerous occasions, but like neuroanatomy and motor control, which is basically skill acquisition, like I failed it three times. But <laughs> I'm lucky to have got through, to be honest. But yeah. but at the time I didn't I didn't link the the um, <clears throat> the learning in that to coaching. Mm-hmm. It was probably in my fourth year of university, university that I I finally. Th- you know, looked at it from a point of view, well, how could I use this? And and then when I started to see, well, actually you can use it, that, that sort of changed a whole range of things for me. And and, and look, I, I was lucky too. Like I, I sort of fell into some roles early mm-hmm. that I probably <clears throat> hadn't earned. Um, yeah, I was, I was coaching, when I first went to Canberra, I coached at Queanbeyan and, and at the time they were a struggling club and you know, we're struggling to get players, and but I was living at, at ANU, the Australian National University, mm. and all my mates were playing for ANU. So the, the following season, 
um, they're looking for a Colts coach and uh, one of my mates is on the committee, he said, mate, you should do this. So that, that, that yeah, falling into that position uh, was, was really good. Laurie Fisher was then the head coach of the club. Um, <clears throat> That'll do. Yeah, so that was that was you know that's that sort of started a pretty good grounding, and then and then Laurie finished with the club that year, and he was a club stalwart. Like he, he was captain when they won their last premiership, and and he, he took a team really of uh, grafters, and and they were semi finalists every year. Um, you know, if you and if you ask him later, he'd say, "Look, they're never going to win the competition, but we had to find a way to." To, to get those blokes to be competitive. And, that, and that's always been what Laurie's done. He's always made um, teams and individuals better. <clears throat> um, so when he left that position, there was an opening for the first grade coaching position. I was only 28. Mm. And most of the first grade guys were older than me. Um, <laughs> so anyway, the, the club president sort of took a punt and, and said, because uh, we had a pretty good year in Colts, and... Mm. and um, I ended up getting the first grade position. I was nowhere near ready. And, you know, the, the following year, which is probably the best thing that happened to me, like I was coaching against Chris Hickey, who was coaching the local, that's the Waratahs. Um, Jeff Stokes was involved in the first year of the Brumbies. Um, you know, Andy Clark, who was the Brumbies skills coach in 2000. And, uh, well, he wasn't there that year. He was there the following year. But he was the Brumbies skills coach in 2000, Coach Rawls in the local comp in 2001. So we're coaching against some world guys who were really world-class coaches in, 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 a, in a small competition. So <clears throat> the first seven games, we didn't, we, we didn't even look like winning, and it was largely because of me. But mm. I was lucky that the senior players um, probably backed me, I suppose. And, and we, worked, we sort of worked out – halfway through the season, we worked out a way to get better. And then by the end of the season, we, we were starting to beat teams that we probably shouldn't have been competitive against teams like – yeah, Tuggeranong, who, who Chris Hickey was coaching. I think in the last game, we played played Tuggeranong. And at that stage, they, you know, for a three or four-year period, they'd never had any more than about 15 points scored against them. Wow. Um, we scored 38 points against them. Oh, sweet. The only problem was they scored 60. <laughs> <Yeah>. so, <laughs> there we go. It wasn't a, it wasn't a game for defence. But, yeah. but, but from that, it, it, yeah, we, we'd worked – we'd been working on – Ways to attack and, and you know, skills and passing, a whole range of different things, and they started to click. Yeah. Um, the next season, we made the semis with, oh, with the cool. same team, and, and 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 from there, you know, again, you know, as a 29-year-old coach, um, uh, making the semi-finals in that sort of company, uh, you know, I got accepted in the RU Level Three, and I think at the time I was one of the youngest in the country, um, and. And again, probably before my time, I probably shouldn't have been. Um, and then, you know, I got a gig with the Brumbies uh, as assistant manager, just just to, to cover for Gary Quinn Livin, who's um, you know, a Brumbies legend. He's he's been involved in the club from day dot. But but the the team gave him a present to go and tour with the Wallabies. Oh, he and his partner. So and and they needed someone to cover the off season. So for me, as a young coach, sitting there. You know, a team that had just won a Super Rugby title, and and mate, basically I was just writing, like I was doing my job, but I was just writing notes the whole time. Yeah. And and that was probably the best development for me. Yeah, you know, I did some rep coaching with them, and then uh, a position opened up as the coach education manager. I went into that role, and then Laurie, who was the academy coach, who and, and you know he got me in uh, doing academy sessions. He he was probably the biggest influence. Like he he sort of, to be honest, he didn't have to, but he he sort of took a an interest in me and, and, and helped me with a lot of things early. Um, and, yeah, from there went into the uh, – Laurie, Laurie, Laurie moved into the assistant coach of the Brumbies. Um, so I, I ran the – I went into the, the – sorry, to become the academy coach. Um, again, probably – there's probably better qualified people, but, but I was just lucky. Yeah, yeah, cool. And what um, what's a bit of a description of that kind of as you you move through into that that academy coach role, and you've only you've only just moved into Ignite Rugby now, but as you're towards the end of your time at uh, the Brumbies Academy, what was your kind of your role there, and what what did your your kind of day to day work look like with with um, the athletes and and outside of that. Yeah, for sure. It's probably changed. I mean, because this is my second trip back to, or was my second trip back to the Brummies. Right. Because I, I, I did this is two thousand and two. So <clears throat> I, I worked there till two thousand and four as the academy coach. Okay. 
Um, and the role back then was, <clears throat> and, and I'll refer back to this because I think we actually had it right back then. Yeah. Um, and ironically, we've gone back to that sort of load now, and we get in, and they're getting better results. Yeah, back then it was it was two skill sessions a week, and they they did you know they did S and C four times a week, but usually it was before the, before the skill session, and, and then so it'd be Monday, Wednesday skills in the off season, um, and then they do S and C four days a week. So the other two days you'd be doing S and C and conditioning, speed, etc. Um, uh, <clears throat> the I guess the big thing about being at the Brumbies at that time is, is you already mentioned, you know, their skills were superior and that was largely driven by Eddie. Mm. And then, but Eddie developed then a, a whole range of coaches underneath him, like Nick Scrivener, who was world-class, Laurie, who was world-class. Um, <clears throat> and and they, yeah, you had a world-class bunch of players, but, but yeah, back then there was a, a history of players coming to the Brumbies as unheralded and then turning into Wallabies. Mm. Because they worked individually, they looked at the player from an individual perspective and worked on what he needed to work on. Um, I think uh, one of the strengths back then, which has probably since become uh, a weakness, I think, in Australian rugby, was that everything was so structured. Mm, and yeah. and that was <clears throat> Eddie. Mm. Eddie NFL went on down. The run. Yeah, it was actually. Yeah, Eddie yeah. went down that path. Um, because in his first year in 98, he came in as the Brumbies coach. And, and Eddie's always looking for, for a different way of doing things. That, that's one of his strengths is he, he's never ingrained in a certain way. He'll, he'll always search. And if you read anything on him, you know, he's getting stuff from you know, Pep Guardiola. He's getting, he's getting a whole range of stuff from, um, from people all around. So at this point in the interview, Nick had to change rooms. So I got a bit of a tour, a virtual tour of the uh, Brumbies headquarters, which... Uh, led us to discussions about uh, the previous facility they were in and get, takes us a bit off track, but I, I thought there was some great information in there, so I kept it in the interview. Let's stick through it and uh, we get back on track. Yeah, we moved into a, a plush new facility about sort of four years ago. Yeah, I remember reading about it. It's near, is it on uh, ANU or is it? Uh, yeah, the University of Canberra. Oh, actually. okay. Oh, that was it. Yeah, yeah. Because that so, was, they were a sponsor for a bit there, right? Eh? They were, yeah, yeah. 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 So... Okay. Um, it's, it's ironic though, coming from like our old uh, facility. It was an old bowling club. Oh right, really? Yeah, <laughs> that's good. I didn't know that. Wow, that's incredible. Yeah, so it was. Um, but it was it was funny. Like I know we digressed, but in the end, before we we moved, um, because it was an old club and we owned it, mm. we could pretty much do what we wanted with it. So oh, um, it was probably part of the the success, I think, of. You know, when Dean and Jake came in and Dean um, pretty much drove everything from a high-performance perspective, but um, we had a – there was a commercial kitchen there. Um, okay, yeah. And, you know, we, the old bowlers' quarters, we, we turned into a sleep room. Um, yeah, we, we fashioned a recovery centre out of an old tin shed. Oh, sweet. Uh, but we had the bowling greens right next to the gym, so you could go from the gym to the bowling green and you could you could – uh, superset skill with the gym. Right. So, so as opposed to just doing a gym set or yeah. a S&C session, you might do an S&C exercise and you're straight on the field doing a skill exercise, so you're getting that S&C into the skill. And, mm. and it, was such a, it was such a huge advantage. Like, um, but the other big advantage was it was a commercial kitchen. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> because we ate two meals a day together. Yeah. Um, and that really – because that group – you know, I think there was 10 debutants in the first game in 2012. And, um, you know, historically, that's the best improvement of a um, of a team in, in Super Rugby history. The only thing is we didn't win the final in 2013. Mm. Um, you know, we're 15 minutes from winning it. But, yeah, you know, we also had to travel 12,000 uh, miles in, in 10 days. And, yeah, you know, that's right. It was five, South Africa five, and then... Um... Crusaders, right? Well, uh, yeah. Chiefs, Chiefs, Chiefs yeah, right? So. Okay, yeah, I remember reading that about um, Jake White when he when he was was uh, the head coach. That one of his, his first instincts was, "Oh, what have I got here?" Like he, he was, um, and then he started talking about what makes Canberra so special, and it's kind of he likened it to Green Bay and the Green Bay Packers and their success there, and and that small town community and things like that. So that, that's really interesting. What yeah, what you're talking about there. Absolutely, and he um, and, and look, the 
just the, I mean, the, the combination of Dean, who was a, he was athletic performance coordinator, but he was really a high performance manager. Mm. Um, so he understood everything and and, uh, and how everything fit, fitted. You know, the, <clears throat> the two meals a day that we had together wasn't just about nutrition. Mm. It was about everyone getting into a room. Yeah. And and the whole office was was largely open plan. Like you had to walk through the coach's office to get to the team room. Mm-hmm. So there was there was no doors closed. There was there was no um, if, if someone was having a blue, everyone heard it. You know what I mean? So yeah. it had to be sorted out. Um, <clears throat> if the coaches were having having a fight, everyone heard it. You know what I mean? So, uh, but the other thing too is is that 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 uh, the team room. Yeah, you know, everyone sat together. So that. Like the team bonded really well from that experience, but not only that is that the players were on work groups, so that you know, we had a chef, and but players would finish their recovery and they'd be in groups and they would would help him serve. Mm. They would then clean up the kitchen, um, and it was just like from a team building perspective, uh, you know, like you, you get the um, the Polynesian boys in the kitchen and they've got the, you know, they'd be dancing to music as they're cleaning up all the. <laughs> You know what I mean? It, it oh, just, great. It, yeah. Like it was, it was a really fun environment to be a part of. There was no, um, there was no uh, us and the, you know what I mean, which you can get in those types of environments. Mm. It was just a, yeah, it was a pleasure. Like it was just a fun environment to be to be a part of. And even though they worked hard and and they did work hard, my God, I mean, you know, some of the conditioning sessions that Dean put them through early on. Uh, like Sam Carter fainted twice. Really? You know what I mean? Look, yeah. but, that, but the, the whole focus then was about um, <clears throat> they want to be the you know, the fittest, you know, it was fit, fitter, fittest. And it was all above the gym, all those slogans, fit, fitter, fittest, mm. you know, return to old values, what built the Brumbies, um, you know, the smartest team in Super Rugby. And, you know, every month Dean would get someone in either from the RS or from overseas and they present to the group on certain things and, you know, they'd integrate. Look, it was just a... It, it was funny coming from yeah you know, where I was I guess in two thousand four where I when I left the Brummies and I left the Brummies at that time because I, I, I you know at the time I wanted to coach Australia mm. and I wanted to do it as quick as possible I didn't realise <laughs> that I was nowhere near that yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and um, and I thought oh well you know I'm not progressing quick enough here so I'm just going to go somewhere else and I'm just going to do it by myself um, I realised pretty quickly when I left that I'm. <laughs> I might have been a bit rash, but <laughs> uh, but but uh, I look back on you know I went to that's when I went to the U- University of Queensland and um, uh, we started a commercial rugby academy there. So I was right, I was the yeah. first director of UQ Rugby Academy, and yeah, for a long time I thought I've made the wrong decision. I've made the wrong decision, but but in the end I look back on it, I actually developed more probably from leaving mm-hmm. than than had I stayed. I think mm-hmm. um, because at the time I was you know, I was a good skills coach. But I knew nothing about team culture. I knew nothing about um, leadership. You know what I mean? I, I knew yeah. how to coach skills, and yeah. that was it, really. Which, yeah, it's part of the part of the puzzle, but it's not it's not everything, you know. And, all right, so well, staying on the Brumbies Academy for a while, like their their transfer from academy athletes to professional Super Rugby athletes is is right up there. Um, what what do you what do you think what do you put that down to what's the what are some of the key things that are that are that are in on that and and the other thing I wanted to add too there was what where where are a lot of those athletes coming from like how how are you identifying them are they are they locally based or are they outside the ACT or um, and how how's that kind of work? how how was that working when you were involved um, it's, it's probably, it's changed a bit because the, the, the AU disbanded the academies. Mm, in, that's right. Yeah. About four years ago. Eh? Yeah. yeah. They did. Yeah. yeah. Um, and they, they tried to run it themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, the Brumbies <coughs> made a, uh, through Damien Hill, uh, who's the high performance manager and, and Dan McKellar, um, uh, who, who's obviously the head coach now. Mm-hmm. They, they, um, they basically uh, said we need an academy. The AU won't, regardless of whether the AU will pay for it, we need an academy. Um, and I'd been saying this for a while. The reason why I've been saying it is because we ran a commercial academy at University of Queensland and we, we made enough money to run our academy. Mm. Um, and and to be honest, that in terms of transfer, that, that academy's probably got the best transfer of any academy the that I know of. Yeah. Oh, no, University of Queensland, the yeah, club in, academy. Into the Reds, right? 
into the Reds and into um, overseas professional contracts. I think there was, of the 39 players we scholarship during that period, I think it was over 40% went on to professional contracts. Wow. And that's in the club academy. Uh, so they're yeah, the guys yeah, that, at the time, that had missed, that had missed out on um, on getting into Reds Academy and that type of stuff. They were guys oh, yeah. that were on the on the fringe of that. Mm. <clears throat> um, our job was to get them into those but, but programs, but then they, they then on progressed over the top of guys that probably initially selected ahead of them. Mm. And and I think part of that is because we had an individual focus on the players, mm. um, which which essentially is what we got from Brum, the Brumbies. Mm. Um, also, as part of that. Uh, or what I, I learned at the Brumbies, I suppose. Um, also, a part of that was <clears throat> there was strong motivation in that group because even though they didn't get opportunity with the provincial, they they were hungry. Mm. They were all they all they needed was 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 similar type of of um, of intervention, and and they were hungry enough to keep going with it as yeah. opposed to just being handed something. So th- yeah. there's a bit of bit of work ethic in there. You know what I mean? We we work you work and earn as opposed to being handed something. Mm-hmm. I think that was a definite part of it. Uh, the other side of it was UQ Rugby Academy was a joint venture between the UQ Rugby Club, UQ Sport, which ran all the sports facilities, and the Human Movement School. Right. So we, we were lucky enough during that period to have access to a guy called Cliff Mallett, okay. um, <clears throat> who runs all the uh, uh, postgraduate um coach education programs at at, um, at the University of Queensland, has for years, and the AIS used to send all their coaches through that program. Right. Um, but Cliff himself was a, a an exceptional uh, athletics coach. He was he was the coach of the Relays, you know, in 2004 when the 4x4 four four got a silver medal. Oh, okay, right, yeah, yeah, yeah. It was the first relay medal, men's relay medal in 50 oh, years wow. or something. And you know, you, you know as well as I do, Australians aren't that athletic. Well, not that fast, like when you compare them to you African Americans, yeah, we're yeah. not even close. So, yeah. but but he had to get everything right, and and, and he, he, he in in yeah, he's written papers on it, etc., and what they did. Mm. Um, <clears throat> but it, it was all about uh, motivation mm. and and um, self determined motivation. So making sure that because athletics, you know, it's an individual sport, so you're dealing with egos. You're not dealing with egos with the athlete you're dealing with egos of the coaches and the support staff who all because if, you know if, I, if i've got one athlete uh, you know I, I generally will hate the coach of the next athlete you know what i mean so yeah so what he what he did was he involved everyone in that process worked out what what motivated them individually both the coaches and the and the, the athletes and then brought them into a process whereby each of them felt <clears throat> that they were contributing um that what they were doing was relevant to what they wanted to achieve and that they had some autonomy, so some decision making in the process. So, yeah, Cliff is a master at that, and he's you know they've since reported on you know what he's done with Paul Green, you know, with the Cowboys and you know, a whole range of different sports. But but he's a psychologist by trade, um, and he's got a PE background as well. But he <clears throat> he's all his research, I guess, is on that that self determined motivation and, and and leadership and and, and so the, the benefit of if I, if I digress back to what uh, UQ Rugby Academy is, we had access to Cliff. Mm. So, anyway, look, look I, I guess I've been lucky. I've had access to world class people. I don't know why. It's just, mm. it's just luck. It's, mm. To be honest, it's not, it's not through any good management or any strategic planning. It's just been luck. But, um, and yeah, one of the when we established the UQ Rugby Academy program, um, one of the first things we did, and and you know, I'd, I'd I'd already read a book called Learned Optimism by um, Martin Seligman, who's, who's based out of University of Pennsylvania. Okay. But, but, but Seligman's programs are used by the US military. Now, this time they weren't, but I remember reading his book and I remember talking to Cliff about it and he said, well, he said, you realise that, that, that um, we've actually done some mental toughness programs based on Seligman's work and we've applied them to sport? And, and I said, no, I didn't know that, but would you like a group of athletes to, <laughs> to, to do some study on? Yeah. <laughs> and he said, yes, yeah. I, I actually would. So yeah, um, so the first thing we did was is, is we tested the players and, and what came back was, was striking. Cliff came back and he said, okay, well, he said, uh, I'm now going to insist we actually do something. He said, because 
most of the players you've tested, and you wouldn't know, and you know, there's only 12 of them, but he, he said all but one, if things go a certain way, could suffer from depression very quickly. Oh, wow. And, and that, was, for me, was a, was a massive eye-opener. Um, and then, so Cliff, we had a workbook and he went through the whole process with it. And, and, and I come back on, there's at least one player in that group that, that went on to play for the Wallabies mm. that would not play, would have played for the Wallabies had it not been for that for Cliff's intervention. Wow. Isn't that incredible? So, so I think that, so it wasn't just the fact we, we were looking at their skills and trying to develop a really good skills program. That mental toughness program, I think, really drove a lot of the development that's occurred in those players since. Yeah, wow. Oh, that's incredible. And um, I think what, what jumps out there for me is, like, you, you mentioned how individualised it is. Um, and, um, you know, I dug up – so I've, I've seen it before, but I dug – just before we have a chat, I've dug up some of your stuff that you do on YouTube um, and I'll, I'll, I'll put one of them on my website so, so listeners can have a look. But where you, you, you kind of track an athlete through their season and highlight yep. areas they need to work on and, and what do you do on, in terms of strength and conditioning and – and then you have some really cool little clips of, um, you know, their games and how they're progressing and things like that. What, how, how, how do you how do you start with an athlete like that when you first come in touch with an athlete? How do you kind of assess them? And then, um, yeah. what what might be some kind of nuggets that club coaches could take out of that that don't have the kind of, you know, the the time uh, to to do that, but but want to improve individual athletes, not just the team as sure. well. For sure. Look, the big big thing, and it's probably one thing I've, um, I, I have left out, um, is that the last year of the Brumbies Academy program, we, we did try and measure everything. So we did develop a skills test for the players. Mm-hmm. And, and part of that was about, well, we need to show them where they are, but also more importantly, we need to be able to show them where they're, where they're getting to. And, and we, the whole premise behind that was, well, if, you know, if one player – and I'll just use the catch pass as, as a simple um, example, is that if a player's issue with catch pass is down to the catch, well, rather than just doing activities which which just focus on, you know, the full pass, well, we need to address the catch first mm. and then put them into those activities. So that so that, that was the, the premise behind it. And probably the other aspect that, that I think drove probably UQ Rugby Academy, and, yeah, even those two Brumbies Academy squads, over 25% of those players went on to to um, professional rugby as well. Mm-hmm. But but those squads were only picked from the Canberra region. Right, yeah, yeah. It's, which it's which tiny, at the time yeah. was 200,000 people. Yeah. So, <clears throat> so, so the, I think so there's a couple of things. The Brumbies influence in terms of skills during that period. And then, then we started um, looking at how we could measure skill. And then, because we always gave them you know, what they're doing in the gym and we can test beep test, and but we never gave them anything on skills. So... The beauty about UQ Rugby Academy was is we could then integrate all that. So we first thing we did was we, we tested them on everything. We tested them on all their S&C, athletic performance. We tested them on their skills. Um, <clears throat> and then, you know, but then we started with the psych stuff. So, we you know, we do a pre-test and a post-test. Um, so going on from there, that, that, that can be a laboured process. Mm-hmm. Um, and and I'll, I'll say this, for years I was – I guess people would say, oh, mate, you don't – mate, the skill's on the field. Yeah. Well, it is on the field, but we can influence We can influence what happens on the field. Like, do, does a player have all options open to him? Mm. And and um, and, that, and that's probably one of the biggest things that, that I've got from Mick. But it, it wasn't until 2015 when I first met Mick because I found, found someone else that actually skill te- did skills tests. Mm. And I'm thinking, well, I've been land blasted for this for ten years, <laughs> and he said, well, don't worry, I've been land blasted for it as well. Yeah. But, but I think if we go back to motivation, people want to know where they are, mm-hmm. and they want to know whether if it, if I'll just go back to self determined motivation. But the, the three three things: one is autonomy; they want some control over what they're doing. They want they want to know what they're doing is related to what they want to achieve, but, and they need to have a a um, there's a, they need to know whether they're competent. Now, competent, you've got to measure to get competence. Yeah. Because, because otherwise, the only measure they're going to have is whether they're winning or losing. Now, if if and, and again, there's really good research on this in, in terms of, of um, another theory, which is achievement goal theory, is that 
you've got two two orientations in terms of people. One is you've got an ego orientation, and and, and that's not a bad thing. Mm-hmm. All that means is that you you measure yourself based on whether you win or lose, um, or you've got a task mastery orientation, and you measure on yourself on how you're going with the task. Now, there's yeah. plenty of research that suggests you know through growth, might you know through Carol Dweck and a whole range of things. It's it's all all. Um, uh, streams on the same theme, I guess. But if you can get uh, people to focus and get their, um, excuse me, their um, <clears throat> satisfaction out of the task mastery, getting better at the task, mm-hmm. then they they take risks. They Because everything's not about win or lose. When mm-hmm. you start focusing on win or loss, mm-hmm. that you may have 99 wins. That one loss will derail them. Mm-hmm. But if, if, if you get them to be able to focus on the task and not attribute, be able to, to not attribute a, um, an ego response to the result of that task, mm-hmm. then you're going to get a player, an athlete that, that is able to keep moving forward. But also it helps them in terms of their life, in terms of not catastrophizing when the one thing goes wrong. Yeah. So, so, so that's a lot of the Seligman stuff as well. Um, but, but probably the best athlete... Or, or the best um, case, I guess, to think about that is is Andre Agassi. Because mm-hmm. if you look at Agassi in the early part of his career, yeah. he was yeah. uh, images everything. Mm-hmm. That that was his slogan: images everything in it. You know, he used to say, "Yeah, well, <clears throat> I don't need game plans, or and, and I'm just using, yeah, I just go out in emotion." But but he used to tank matches, and mm-hmm. you know, for a long period there, he, he made a lot of Grand Slam finals that he lost. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, he, he you know, one period there he. he he, he got an injury to his uh, wrist, I think. He had wrist surgery and he, he dropped to, you know, over 100 in the world. Then he came back and won the US Open because it, yeah. there was no – he wasn't expected to. Yeah. Then he won the Australian Open. Um, I think <clears throat> uh, lost in the final of the French, lost in the semi-final of Wimbledon, then went to the US hardcourt and won everything mm. e- except – the the only the only hard court loss he had that year was the final of the U.S. Open against Pete Sampras, yeah, right. and he kept going back to that match. So his career suddenly started to derail. Mm. He said he said he said well, why would, why would I win all those games but lose the one that, that mattered? Mm. So it didn't matter that he won all those games, wow. but that one loss derailed his whole career. And that's when you know if, if you go through his book, um, <clears throat> he you know he, he he dropped back to over 137 in the world. He you know I think he even had it, had a bit of bit of experiment with crack there for a bit as yeah, well I think as well. Something there, yeah. <laughs> That's it. Um, but but the, the what, what happened next is probably, um, or for me is is uh, liberating. I think is that his coach Brad Gilbert, who who was the total opposite to Andre. He was, <clears throat> yeah. Brad Gilbert wrote a book called Winning Ugly, mm. um, and. And he, he gave Andre a bit more prag- pragmatism, you know, being able to, to read a game and adjust the way you play as opposed to just playing the same way. Mm. But what he also said, and, and his strength coach during that period, he sat him down and said, well, mate, you've got to work out, because well publicised that, he, that he, he hated tennis, but um, uh, Gilbert and, um, and his strength coach sat him down and said, you've got to work out essentially what, what you love about this game. He said, because if you don't, he said, it's, it's hard watching you go from number one in the world to 137. He said, we've got better things to do with our time. Yeah. Um, and, and, he, and it was almost like doing a, a business case for himself. An indiv- like an, and this is, I guess, where individual planning comes from. He, he went through, it wasn't the, it wasn't the, the game so much. He, he loved the, the show. He was a, from Las Vegas. It mm. was the show, the whole show. So then what he did, and again, his value set was about, <clears throat> he identified what his values were essentially, mm-hmm. um, which is that whatever happened, if a player was going to beat him, they had to earn it. Mm. So all he had to do then was just bring that to the table. Mm-hmm. So that then suddenly took the focus off winning or losing. It was if I bring this to the table, I can win or I can lose, but I can walk away knowing, well, you know, he beat me on the day, but I've got to make him earn it. And he said that in an interview um, uh, in 95 when he beat Pete, Pete Sampras, and I'll come to that in a second, but... But what he did was then he didn't he didn't bank on getting wild cards at tournaments. He went back onto the satellite tour, right. where you have to pick up your own balls. Yeah, right. So he worked his way back from there, and he became the fittest player in in tennis. 
And the whole thing was, I mean, look, yeah, it, it, yeah, his his record of winning five set matches during that period is is unprecedented. Mm. But he, as the game would get tougher, he used to run from the end of the court to the to the seat, and then he run from the seat to the end of the court, and that was essentially to show that. The other player, that yeah. man, I've got, I'm willing to go as far as this goes, man. I've got more in me. So it was yeah. the, the, the whole process, and 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 yeah, for, for me, it was revealed in the interview he did with Bruce McAvaney, who's, who's obviously a yeah, you know, a famous journalist in Australia. It was in, it, he played Pete Sampras in the semi-final of the Australian Open, and Sampras was smashing up two sets <clears throat> to love, and um. It, like Agassi was playing unbelievably. He was just uh, like it, every he he Sampras had served, he returned love fifteen. He do another massive serve love thirty. Then Sampras would ace him out, win the game, mm. and it just kept happening. And, and then you know the third set he won in a tie break. The fourth set I think he won in a tie break, and the fifth set he just ran over the top of him. Mm. And and McAvaney interviewed him after. He said, "Mate, you must have been getting disheartened." Like he said, you were playing incredibly. Love. He said, I've never seen a game where you got to so many times. Love thirty, love forty, and he dashed you out. He said, no. He said, I wasn't. He said, I knew I was chipping away. Mm. He said, he said, the thing was, he said, the more times I can get Pete to that, the more times I'm making. I'm, he said, he's only got so many he serves in him. Mm. He said, the more times I, I I make him do that, I know that, that I'm putting myself in the best position at the end of the game. He said, he said, I've just got to keep putting him in those those. In, in those positions. So the, the whole change there from the ego of, oh, you know, I'm losing the game, I'm losing the game, and, and then and that just taking over the whole mental mental um, uh, yeah, whole mental whole space, which then yeah, puts you on a direction which is going to lose you the game, is that his whole focus was on, no, no, well, this is – I know that if I'm doing this, I'm chipping away, which for me was, was quite liberating. And, and essentially that's where – you know, a lot of the individualised stuff, particularly from the mental side of things, has come from is that if we can get players to create, a, understand what their values are, mm. okay, and, and understand that if you live your values and you can always go back and say, well, it doesn't matter what happened, this is who I am, you know what I mean? And and if you can do that, then that, and, and that's your main focus, whether it's in sport or in life, then, then essentially... I wouldn't say life becomes easy, but, but you're in a better position to handle some of the, the, the obstructions that come your way. Mm, yeah, definitely. Oh, that's great. Yeah, that's really interesting. And, yeah, I think it just shows there's so much to learn from other sports, uh, just uh, yeah. whether it's reading coach uh, autobiographies or other athletes' autobiographies. I think, uh, you know, uh, kind of takes me to, to some of John Wooden's uh, books as well and uh, some of the stuff from uh, – uh, the NFL and some of the coaches there. So, oh, that's great. Awesome. So, um, actually, can I, can I just add one more thing? Just yeah, to, yeah, to the yeah, last of course. Because yeah. I know it's been long-winded, but I, I know the initial question was is that mm. what we do on a daily basis. Yeah. I initially started that um, I think where training went wrong in Australia mm. is that we decided that more was better. Mm. Um. Whereas, but more of the wrong stuff is not better. It actually just burns people out. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, academies went where we were in in the Brumbies Academy, where it was yes, it was four sessions a week, but that's all it was. Mm-hmm. Um, and at UQ, it was just four sessions a week. Yeah. When academies suddenly went to full time or, or almost full time, where they're doing you know six, seven sessions a week, and they're doing training with the main squad, mm. um, and and and, and it, and because structured play was so successful when Eddie started it, and, and this, mm. look, he started because he wanted an edge, and at that mm. time, the yeah, rugby league was based on if you can hold on to the ball f- for three phases and you can put yourself in a position where your best attackers were against the worst defenders, mm-hmm. you'd win. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and it became so successful that what, what happened was we stopped working on skills mm. because the pattern became more important, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. So yeah, totally. what happened What happened after that was is that... that uh, academy training went away from being uh, development programs to just well, the the our B team's got a game this weekend. We've just got to do the pattern. Mm. So we, we went away from the skills altogether, but we just trained more pattern. Mm. Um, the problem is, is that when you when you can uh, when you just focus on that, you go back to that it's winning the game mentality. Yeah. But also, players turn off. They switch mm. off. Oh, for sure. Yeah, and um, and also they can't adapt to when 
the defense doesn't give them the option to run that pattern. 100%. Yeah. 100%. Yeah, no, and I think think that's interesting when you look at the history of Australian rugby, um, you know, in the... You know, past decade, um, there's there's some parallels there. One would suggest, and that's essentially why they are you can the academies mm-hmm. because they weren't saying transfer, so they right. the, yeah they wanted to run it themselves, but that created a, a political storm, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, but but again, you know, we, we've just come out of a period where we we ran an under twenties competition, like a super rugby yeah. under twenties competition. Yeah. But that, but again, it was about winning the competition. So, what yeah. do you think they did for five, five, six sessions a week? <laughs> structured play and patterns. The structured and, play, yeah. and and again, the players were terrible. Yeah, yeah. So, so what the um, what's the rugby? What the Brumbies have gone back to is just Monday, Wednesday skills. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday S and C, but the Tuesday and Thursday sessions can be done at their clubs. Mm. Which is which is where they do their skills. So what they've done is is they they focus. Well, what we need to do is focus on what the individuals need, mm. and we need to go back to just focusing on skills and getting that into the open environment, and and then linking the S and C. And 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 it is incredibly important, particularly with passing, is is you've got to be able to run a certain way to pass properly. Mm-hmm. Um, and and so they're doing probably fifty percent less sessions, and they're getting better transfer. So probably for I know we went back to the club coaches. Mm. More is not better. Yeah, <laughs> it's, yeah, yeah. It, it's actually just if you can get some some good quality skill development mm. and and which changes habits into your programs. Um, if it, it's hard to assess players in terms of skill, you can actually do it in our app, which is simple. Mm. But but I'd argue if you, if your first session of the year is assessing, do a skills assessment. Um, if you've got S and C, do it as well. If you don't, don't. You don't have to just do a beep test or something like that. But if you test them every you know, one session every four to five weeks, mm. and you can give the players some at least, even if you're not giving them pl- uh, feedback, individual feedback on a weekly basis on their games, which is it, it's it's hard for a lot of coaches to do that. But if mm. you can give them at least something once every three to four weeks mm. um, on something that they can improve, you'll get improvement quickly. You don't need to do massive training sessions. Yeah. Fascinating stuff, and um, yeah, really, really interesting. And I could, I could talk for ages on this stuff. So um, we'll, uh, we'll move, we'll move to your your role with Ignite Rugby now. Uh, you're now, you're now involved full time with um, as the manager of Ignite Rugby. Uh, it's a partnership with uh, the Brumbies, as you mentioned at the beginning of the show. What's, uh, what's uh, a little bit of information about that, and and how's it linked up with uh, with Mick Byrne and um, yep. you know when's when's it all kind of roll out and happen? Sure. So so, so Mick's, Mick's obviously the director, yep. um, and he's the founder. Um, and Rod Kafer is also the CEO. Yeah. Um, uh, and we've, our partners, we've got a fifty percent. Um, our fifty percent partners are uh, a technology company out of the states called um, Global Aptitude. Okay. Um, <clears throat> The, the, the whole, I guess, the, I guess the whole inception occurred about two years ago. So um, I, I put a business plan together for the Brumbies about com- commercial. We, we'd been running a commercial academy, but, but but I wanted to take it a bit further mm-hmm. in relation to, well, I, I believe we could actually re-establish our academy program again by putting more resource into our commercial academy because obviously that, that gives us income that we can we can employ coaches mm-hmm. with, essentially. Um at the time that uh, yeah, I think it's well reported, the, the Brumbies had a few CEO issues there for a while, and yeah, yeah. And, um, and yeah, there's issues with the major sponsor as well, and and uh, uh, yeah, during that period, I, I met uh, Mick and Kaif, and and uh, they Mick, Mick had, was just weighing up whether he was going to stay with the All Blacks and or whether he was going to go and, and work with with Rod. In his um, sports tech academies business, and he he made a decision to you know been with the Allbacks for eleven years and mm. made a decision based on family more so than anything um, to to relocate back to Australia um, and, and yeah to be closer to his daughter and his um, and his son and his grandson um, and he was able to do that through through uh, through through Rod. I, I actually wanted Rod, Rod Rod's academy model in at the Brumbies because I, I saw a model that, that worked holistically on on the players mm-hmm. and, and, and looked at the, some of the stuff that, that, that we'd looked at previously and I knew was successful and I thought, well, that's 
that's a really good model for, for what we should be doing at the Brumbies. Um, so I went up and I met with him, and that, that was the first time I met Mick. And when, when I met Mick, I, I, I just thought, mate, I'd, oh, yeah, but sometimes in your life where you, 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 someone changes you fundamentally. Mm. You look what they're doing. And, mm. you know, for, for, for me, coming back to the Brumbies in 2011 and seeing Dean, what Ben Dean Benton did and, and you know, that, that was a, a turning point. What Laurie helped me with in the early days was a turning point. What Cliff did was a turning point. But then I, well, I met with Mick and that was another turning point. Mm. Um, and he just went through some stuff on passing. And I'm sitting there going, my oh God, I've been teaching this wrong for 10 years. Brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> uh, <clears throat> And, and I'm thinking, okay, well, <laughs> anyway, it, it ended up being um, uh, we, we sort of the three of us had sat down and we, we you know, I'd, I'd been when I was at UQ, we'd always been trying to work on. We we, we had Excel spreadsheets here, there, everywhere. We had, um, you know, we had different systems, analysis systems. Like it was, it was just hard to manage everything because you've got so many different pieces of information, so many different places, and there was so much admin work work involved in collating all that information um and and we all sort of through talking so we need something in rugby that just gets gives us everything in one place mm. so so then mick, mick had uh global aptitude with uh, their their signature product game plan that uh, was developed in conjunction with the all blacks so he said well these guys are really good guys and this is similar like it's not totally what we want but it's similar um, to what we want, and we, we spoke with them, and then basically yeah, they said, "Yep, we're on board. Let's 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 do it." And and we're looking. At, basically, it was a one-stop shop, is to mm. you know a place where you you could store an athlete's history. So if an athlete started as a six-year-old, this I guess is the vision mm. that if he as a 29-year-old when he finished his career, he could go back and track his whole career. So whatever he did in the gym, whatever he did on the field, his improvement, we wanted a place where he could go back and just track everything. And, and thereby, you know, talent ID experts, um, academy managers can be more specific about how they manage their, their players. Mm. Um, <clears throat> and, and being able to integrate you know, what they need at that time um, as opposed to just generic uh, drills, I suppose. You know what I mean? Mm. And yeah. and And... So through that process, we went through, and then, then we sort of realised how, how, that we got ourselves into something pretty big. Um, <laughs> it's just taken two years to get where we are now. Yeah. But, but, it, look, but, but yeah, um, essentially, that's what we wanted to do. We just wanted to develop a one-stop shop where where any player and coach in the world could have access to the best information. Mm -hmm. So specific. So it's Ignite Rugby is um, it's a platform, but also there's a private academy. Um, branch to it as well that generates revenue for for, for various reasons. Yeah, that's it. So that's the other side. Is that the, the platform enables um, the ability to to scale. Mm -hmm. So so we we obviously run. You know, a, a, a partnership with the Brumbies is the commercial academy here. Um, but but the ability to have a platform which reduces your admin load by fifty percent. Which allows me to be as to be more specific. Like I can provide feedback to a player directly through the platform. Um, it's like a what it's got WhatsApp function, so all the communication can be done through the planning, can be done through it. The whole S and C program can be um, can be delivered through the platform and updated as they do stuff. They've got yeah, you can skills test in there, and then from that skills testing, it will send the player individual activities, priming activities that they can do before training. Wow. Um, so, look, essentially it was, it was developed. So to allow – most coaches coach because they, they love the tactical side of the game. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But often the players don't have the technical ability or the, the skill ability to deliver that tactic. Yeah. If we can provide coaches and players with a way that they can do that themselves um, and they can refer back to a, back to a, a single resource, it allows parents, you know, when they take the kids out to kick – um, yes, to muck around, but also say, well, why don't you, why, when you kick, what, if I put my hand here, mm. try and kick without touching my hand. Mm. You know, just stop them throwing the ball up. You know what I mean? Those types of things. So mm. suddenly we can, we, we can put constraints in place that naturally develop skill. Yeah, cool. Uh, it sounds fascinating and uh, it's exciting um, that it's uh, rolling out. When's, when's, uh, is there any date yet for it to, to be launched? Oh, look or? It's it's live. Okay. Yeah, we're still still doing some work in in, in the background, obviously. Um, so it's it is it's it's ready to go now. Um, we we 
we're sort of in, working individually with coaches at the moment just to, just to make sure it's specific for their needs. Mm-hmm. Um, but there there will be a, um, uh, there will be a product for for example like you know mum or dad kid wants to play rugby. Mm. Mum or dad's never had any experience in rugby, or well, they may have played 20 years ago, but don't know how to coach it. Well, they can just put in the start date of this you know, training season, how many times they train a week, how long they train for, the end date, and it will spit out a program for them that they can just follow up yeah, if they right. want. But your more elite coach can customise. Oh, wow, that's cool. So um, if people want more information about it, where where would they go to, to search it? Uh, at the moment, my... my my email, yep. nicholasyahoo.com, is probably okay. the best way. Yep. Um, we're, we're in the process of building uh, websites at the moment. We just, as I said, I'll just mention briefly, we are in the process of, of, of trying to organise a deal with a, uh, a you know, reasonable, reasonable size organisation. Mm-hmm. That's been our main. If we get that over the line, then, then um, uh, if we get that over the line, then that our focus then becomes on making sure that the platform's available uh, for for any individual that wants it, you know, whether they're a, a you know a, a young kid that wants a, a, a few activities that can do he can do by himself with his mum or dad, whether it's a coach who wants to run his whole program by, or whether it's a, an academy coach that wants to individualise that they've got a platform that you know, can essentially be delivered straight to that. Yeah, right. Awesome. Ah, oh, it's exciting stuff. All right. Well, we always end the the show with the same final four questions. When you were a kid growing up in uh, beautiful Walker. Um, what, uh, who, who are some of the rugby players that you, you looked up to and thought, wow, they're, they're amazing and I want to play the game? There's only one, Mark Hiller. Yeah, yeah. Oh, when you yeah. wrote that down, when I saw you wrote that down, I was like, oh, yeah. What, like, that was, I was just crossing over then. Uh, I was probably missed that kind of glory uh, stage, but just looking back at some of the videos there, and I think you yeah. wrote that he was, like, before his time and, uh, yeah, yeah incredible. Not many people realise this, but Eddie Jones grew up with him. Oh, right, really? Yeah, yeah, they went to school. From age six, they played oh, cricket right. together. Yeah. They played, but, yeah, they played on rugby on the road together for, you know, as kids. Yeah. Uh, so he, he grew up with the Yellow Brothers. So a lot of his uh, um, philosophies come back from that time as well. Oh. So, mm. yeah, But, but Mark, Mark was ahead of his time. Look, he, and I was lucky enough to, when I was a kid, um, you know, I said Dad was a coach, but Dad got him up. Uh, to, to do the presentation at Walker, like the, mm. the, the seniors and the junior presentation. Oh, awesome. I think I was 11, I think. And uh, so he stayed at our house. Oh, wow. And, <laughs> oh, mate, it was amazing. Like, seriously, it was, you know what I mean? Like, it was, and, and the, but the thing was, he was such a genuine bloke as mm. well. It was, when Dad first asked him, you know, he, he was doing it on behalf of the, the senior club. And then he said, oh, I yeah, want you to do the juniors on the Sunday. And he said, mate, if you didn't say juniors, I wasn't going to do it. Oh, awesome. What a guy. What a all, he did was, all he did for the whole day was play with us. Oh, the kids. Awesome. Yeah. Just play footy with us. It was incredible. Yeah. Like, yeah. it was, yeah, it was just amazing. Yeah. Yeah, mm. Awesome. All right, and what about now? Who are some of the, the players that you, you like seeing, seeing out in the field? Yeah, look, probably... For me, I, I, I know, I, I wrote... I, it was a bit long-winded when I wrote back, um, but... Look, look, Poey, David Pocock. For sure. Um, and, and look, the, the thing about Poey for, for me is is that you see his value set on the field mm. and and he's he, he's the same off the field, you know what I mean? Like, mm. it, you know, you know he's, he's got some, some, some pretty strong uh, things that he believes in and, and he stands up for that. He's got the courage to swim against the tide. Um, another one is Christian, Leo Lafano. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> who, uh, yeah, I've, I've got to know quite well, and and, and yeah, particularly in 2012, I, I did a bit of individualised coaching with Christian more on his and his tackling technique, mm-hmm. um, because we, we, during, it's funny because during the the first ARC Melbourne Rebels, we we beat yeah the Canberra Vikings who were basically the Brumbies, mm. um, we beat them twice and we weren't expected to look. We were 66 to one, I think, to win, but mm. we beat them by targeting Christian mm-hmm. um, because of his tackling. Um, so, so when it, when I came on board in two thousand late two thousand eleven, you know, I, was, I was the uh, you know, the, the ACT fifteen coach, which was essentially the B side and the best club players. We ran a clubs academy that year as well, um, but uh, and you know, I was assistant manager as well. But I had a small skills role with with some of the players that needed some some more augmenting, you know, and one of them was Christian with his tackling. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's getting to know him during 
through that period. But, but not only that is that he, he'd just come back from shoulder reconstruction and, and he was tackling well in the trials. And the first game against the force, he dislocated his shoulder. Tackled mm-hmm. superbly, but yeah. dislocated his shoulder. By the end of the season, with a dislocated shoulder and doing you know, an extra 10, and to be honest with you, the dislocated shoulder was probably the best thing that happened to him. He was tackling because it forced him to, to keep his, 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 his hands tight, which mm. protected his shoulder. Mm. So technically, the, the dislocation almost forced him to, to, to get in a good position. Yeah, right. But at the end of that season, with a dislocated shoulder, he finished the year as a 95% tackler. Oh, wow. That's incredible. Yeah, that's, that's, yeah. Just, that's incredibly tough. Yeah. Like, yeah. And that, it, you know, he's a wonderful person off the field, but, but that, that for me was just... Um, you know, the, the, the ability to to take a, what was a weakness, turn it into a strength in, in fairly compromised circumstances, was a, yeah, that's a measure of the man, I think. Yeah, great. Awesome. Yeah, I've been a fan for a while, both of them too. Like, Poe, mm. Poe's just amazing. And what he's doing what he's doing now with the new breakdown laws is just outstanding mm. and how he's adapted to, to that and still just being a presence that... Well, we're seeing it with Super Rugby. He's clearly being targeted because he's such a threat, mm-hmm. and um, that that shows how how good of a, a rugby player he is and how uh, he analyzes the game. Mm. Yeah. But it, it's interesting too with with Poe and Christian because we obviously bring a lot of you know the commercial guys from Japan, from the states, from everywhere. Guess who the first two blokes that have come up to them and oh, introduced? Yeah, no doubt. That's great. Isn't that awesome? Legends, Unbelievable. Legends, mate. Legends. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Awesome. And what about coaches? Yeah. You've you've had uh, you've mentioned a bunch. Who are, who are some of the mm-hmm. ones that, that stand out for you? Oh, look, Eddie. Yeah, people and people will criticise Eddie. Mm-hmm. And that if you look at the guys that have developed under Eddie, you know, there's a generation of coaches, the mm-hmm. world class coaches that have mm-hmm. have have, um, have developed un, under him. But and uh, you know, I mentioned this, and not many people know it, but but he was a quasi coach of the Brumbies from 2012 to 2013. Right. Yeah, Jake was on the phone to him every day. Dean was on the phone to him every day. Yeah, we, we were essentially, a lot of the, our programming was based on what Suntory had done the year before. Right. Um, because, because you know, John Pryor and, and Dean are in business together. You know, they're, they're best mates. And he's, you know, he... He's he's well. He, people will say he's not well. And I know he's copying at the moment, yeah, uh, you know, for in England. But I remember seeing an interview with him uh, before the Six Nations, saying that this next year will be the the toughest year for us. Mm. So it just it just seemed I, I wouldn't be surprised if this is all part of the plan. No, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Uh, never underestimate him <laughs> for sure. Nah, yeah. nah yeah. particularly he's, he's going to have them for four months. Oh yeah. Leading into the uh, the World Cup, and, and look, the, the the thing is, is that there is a big drop off between Northern Hemisphere rugby in, in terms of club rugby and the needs of Test rugby yeah. in terms of conditioning. Yeah. Um, I, I know that. I'll, yeah, I'll probably if you, if you've got people commenting on this, they're probably going to. I'm going to probably get a cop it left, right, yeah. and centre. Yeah. But but yeah, Mark Hammett when he was at Cardiff said that you know the GPS results are uh, a similar to low level club rugby in in New Zealand. Now I think it's better than that now, mm. but but there is a definite drop off in terms of the, the the conditioning needs of international rugby and club rugby. Um, it's it's still seeing it in Australia. The biggest change in the last twelve months yeah. is the Brumbies were so far ahead in SNC. The other provinces have now caught up because the RU have said, "Well, mate, yeah. all your blokes are red." Yeah. So th- yeah. that's the. That's the um, if Eddie's got them with Dean Benton, you know, Warwick Carrington for four months, uh, yeah. for twelve, you know, or for four months prior to it, I, I just they're going to be well prepared. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. All right, great. And um, last question then: What's uh, who's someone in your local area uh, around Canberra there who's a grassroots coach who's who's doing some good work and deserves some recognition? Yeah, there's well, there's actually there's a couple of young, really young blokes actually. The the two young blokes that that coached the ACT schoolboys last year. Oh yeah, great. Because the ACT school, they're only they're only young kids. They're uh, yeah, still under thirty. Um, but the ACT schools last year won the Australian cha- championships. Yeah, I remember seeing that. The, the, yeah. What, did they beat Queensland in the final, or who was it? Oh, they they beat New South. I think they, they beat South both Queensland one yeah. and. Yeah, Queensland won and New South Wales won, and then they played Queensland two in the final. Yeah, right. Um, okay. But they smashed everybody, and <laughs> and and look, part of it was is is that a lot of those kids have been coming in here two days a week, mm. 
um, doing uh, so their skill. I wouldn't say their skills they were doing here were great then. They're better. They're better now. Um, but their S and C, which transferred directly on on field, mm. was was world class. And and um, and you know that they. they they shocked a lot of people. The, the schools are on now, and, and they've already had a loss to New South Wales. But they've already been you know, three years ago. If if we if we beat Victoria, we were happy. Four years ago, you know what I mean? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Whereas now, you know, they lose to New South. Well, like yeah, they've they've already beaten Queensland too significantly, and then they yeah you know, they lost to um, New South Wales one um, uh, yesterday, um, but. You know, the the goal for for those schoolboys teams is to always be either one, two, or three. If they they come third, then they've hit that that market. And you, you got to remember too, we we pick from a region of about three hundred thousand yeah, people. Yeah, yeah, you know, New South Wales pick from ten million, mm. Queensland four million. So, yeah. um, to those two, yet the young coaches that took those, that team, um, I, I think are exciting young coaches, um, and good kids, really yeah. good kids. What were their names yeah. again? Sorry. So Dan Hawke. Yeah. And Ben McGee. Okay, great. Awesome. All right, well, it's been an awesome chat. And, uh, you know, like I said, the Brumbies uh, were, if, if I'm pressed, they're my favourite team. So it's great to talk to someone who's had such a, a, a long involvement with them and involvement everywhere. And great to, great to talk to you, Nick, and um, really wish you the best with Ignite Rugby. And I'm sure it's going to be a huge success and uh, happy to chat. Awesome. Thanks, mate. Thanks for having me. Yeah, no worries. Pleasure. Cheers. for listening to the Rugby Coaches Corner podcast. If you enjoyed the show, please leave a review via iTunes and keep listening for the next episode. You can also follow us via Twitter at RugbyCoachesCNR or via the website therugbycoachescorner.com. Until next time, keep sharing ideas to make the game better.